Hi, thanks for being here tonight. We're going to have a fun time studying the uh, um, book of Second John. Um, Angie, maybe even down a little bit more. It sounds like I'm yelling, am I? Okay, down more. I'm loud enough as it is, so I don't need a lot of help. All right? Um, so let me pray for us and uh, um, keep walking as I'm praying. Keep your eyes open. Don't trip over, on, over anybody. And we're glad to have uh, everybody back here for uh, our, the second one of our sticky pages. So, Lord, we are uh, honored to have the privilege to come together as a uh, um, body of folks who uh, seek to know your son and to follow hard after him. And, um, Lord, we don't take it for granted that we have the freedom in this country to be able to uh, choose tonight uh, to do this sort of thing. And so thanks for each one of the folks in here, Father, and for their um, uh, dedicating this time to learning more about you, more about your son, to learn about truth, to learn about love, and to learn about obedience. So thanks for this time. May your uh, spirit, Father, illumine uh, the truths of your word, that we might hide them in our hearts, that we might not sin against you, and that we might walk in a way that brings you honor and glory. So thanks for this opportunity. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so um, tonight, Second John. Remember, um, we call this sticky pages because, you know, we probably don't hang out a whole lot in Second John, okay? Anybody doing devotional reading in Second John this week? Yeah, me neither. Well, I saw a hand over here, did you? Way to go. Do you remember anything you read? Just what? You just read it. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. This is a great way to prepare. I loved uh, um, opening my Bible and seeing that um, what I had to read for Second John was half of a page. I went, okay, I can do that. All right, how are we coming on memorizing? Anybody uh, taking up my challenge to memorize uh, one of the four books? All right, we're working on it. That's good. One here, one over here. Okay, so now the uh, truth time is going to be the last night. And so I think what we'll have to do is ask you to show up a little bit early, and then you'll get to say it to just whoever's sitting here so we don't take up all the time with 15 people up here repeating uh, one of these books. But it'll be a fun opportunity to see that, hey, we can memorize an entire book of Scripture. Okay? All right, so let's start tonight by reviewing Philemon. Okay, and so what was the big idea of the book of Philemon? Forgiveness, that was a huge theme, okay? T-shirt for you. Um, and when, um, when I say T-shirts, just come up here afterwards. I've got two refilled boxes of T-shirts, so come on up, all right? Um, what else? Yes, sir. Grace, certainly grace was uh, right there in the uh, heart of uh, Paul's uh, salutation. Yes, sir? Hmm? Humility. Uh, The Apostle Paul definitely demonstrated humility uh, as he dealt, not as an apostle, uh, but he called himself an old man and a prisoner. uh, And he was appealing to Philemon on the basis of friendship rather than authority. Okay, what else? Yes, ma'am. Angela, I called on you. (laughs) 
Okay, I love that. In the context of community, did y'all hear that? Forgiveness in the context of community and reconciliation. And I definitely have a t-shirt for you, Angela. Um, You know, that's huge. Paul wrote in the context of community. He addressed the letter in the context of community to Philemon. And uh, there was just community throughout the book. And the goal here was reconciliation. Um, But we're not saying what I think is the biggest uh, key idea of the book. Yes, ma'am. Conflict resolution is part of it. Okay, that's very good. Will? That is certainly huge. And Paul did that. He did it well. That's, I'm still not hearing the one word I want to hear. Way in the back. Redemption and reconciliation? Okay, yes, definitely. I, I, y'all got it, and that's the good news. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that's getting there. That's getting there. She said the equality that they have as brothers in Christ. Yes, ma'am. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Transformation. Uh, right off my notes. All right. Well, for being um, astute to look at your notes, I've got a great little commentary on Titus and Philemon for you. So Philemon is all about transformation, and we see um, the key players in there being transformed. Okay? We see um, Onesimus transformed from bondservant to beloved brother. And we see Philemon being called to be transformed, to go from being master to being a brother in Christ to uh, uh, his former servant. And we also see the Apostle Paul being transformed. How do we see him being transformed? We've already said a little aspect of it. Any takers on that one? Well, think about, okay, a couple in the back. Yeah, I think so. I, see, I think you see the Apostle Paul um, being transformed as well to say, look, I'm not going to assert my authority as an apostle that I have every right to assert. Um, but I am going to... Um, appeal to you is simply a fellow believer in Christ as your brother, as your fellow worker in the gospel, as your, um, what else did he say? He said, as your partner. And so we see the Apostle Paul voluntarily laying aside his uh, authority as an apostle to say, look, pal, I am simply calling on you as your brother in Christ to do the right thing here. So this book is all about transformation. All right, a couple other questions on it. So where was Paul when he wrote Philemon? In a Roman prison, right. Okay, and so uh, can somebody name the other prison epistles? Yes, sir? That's one. Oh, all right, we'll just do one at a time. That's good. Ephesians and Colossians, yeah. 
And it's interesting to read those, you see a lot of the same ideas being sounded throughout each of them. And particularly you see a bunch of overlap between Philemon and Colossians. The same guys get mentioned in there. Um, So who was with Paul in Rome? You remember those names? Do you have one, Angela? Uh, John Mark was one of them. Who else? Remember, most of them were listed at the end. Archippus, I heard. Luke was there. I also heard Demas over here. Yeah. Um, Did we miss any? Uh, Well, Tychicus is not actually mentioned in the letter, but we know from Colossians that he carried the uh, letter to the Colossians. um, And we think that he also carried probably the letter of Philemon to Philemon. Okay, who else? There's one more. Aristarchus? Yeah, I said Archippus. I meant Aristarchus. Thanks for uh, uh, straightening me out on that. Um, But there's one more still. Not Barnabas. Who? Timothy. There we go. Um, Remember, right at the beginning, he says, you know, Paul, prisoner, and Timothy, our brother. Okay, so it's likely that Timothy was there with him in Rome as he was writing. He wrote the letter in community. He sent it to a guy in, uh, in uh, the midst of community, and he signed it um, saying that, hey, the rest of my community greets you as well. Okay? Um, let's see, a couple of more questions. So what's unique about the uh, book of Philemon? Give me a, uh, a uniqueness of it. Yes, ma'am? He wrote it in his own hand. Yeah. And that had actually legal ramifications when he said, charge that to my account. Okay? Because he was signing his name on the dotted line to be um, essentially a, a guarantor for um, Philemon. said, hey, don't worry about... I'm sorry, not for Philemon, but for Onesimus. He, he was saying, don't worry about uh, looking to Onesimus to pay this. I'll pay it. And I'm writing this with my own hand so you know that I'm obligating myself. What else? Yes, sir. Paul's shortest letter. Yeah, that would be the other one I would pick. Um, so... It's a great little book, and we have another great little book tonight. You know, I've used the idea that these are postcards in comparison with some of the uh, uh, New Testament books that we have, and tonight we have a postcard to an elect lady. Um, The book of uh, 2 John uh, actually looks like it's the shortest book in the New Testament because of the number of verses, okay? It has 13 verses, uh, 3 John has 15 verses. But in the Greek text, uh, if you're counting in your Greek text, um, it has fewer words than um, 3 John, I'm sorry, 3 John has fewer words than 2 John does. Okay? So this one has, um, let's see, this one has, uh, I think, uh, something like uh, 245 words in the Greek text. 
okay? And so if you come up here and um, say your memory verses of a book in Greek, you'll get even extra credit, okay? All right? If anybody wants to take that on, uh, I would love to see that, okay? Um, And so if you're going to do that, uh, my suggestion is to do 3 John because that'll be the fewest words for you, all right? But this great little book captures really in uh, um, just a few verses and and really just in three words uh, the essential marks of the Christian life, okay? And so those of you uh, who have read ahead, give me one of those words. Law? No, I wouldn't pick law. Walk, okay? Walk's a great one, uh, and it's part of it, but it's still not one I would pick. Truth, yeah, that's the first one I'd pick. What's the second one I'd pick? Love, and what's the third one? And we're, all t- we're to do all three of these as we, front table, as we walk, yeah, yeah. So definitely walk's a big one, uh, but truth, love, and obedience, that's the way that we're called to live our lives as believers in Christ, and we'll talk about that, all right? Um, Here's a summary statement uh, to start us off um, about the message of this little letter. To sum up the whole book, you could say, uh, abiding in the truth is essential to maintaining brotherly love. Some big words in there, abiding, truth, and love, okay? Okay? And so, as usual, um, well, let me go back here. Um, I have a little map up here for a reason, because you can see um, right here is Ephesus. That's likely where John was when he was writing this letter. And uh, you can see uh, a bunch of other towns up here, including uh, six others that are the seven letters to whom John addressed um, the book of Revelation. And so, you know, in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, John um, records letters to seven churches, starting with Ephesus, okay? And so you can see these seven churches, or seven uh, churches in seven different towns just right here. They look like a little sword point to me. You start down here with Ephesus and go north to Smyrna, then up to Pergamum, then over to Thyatira, then to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And none of those are uh, so far from uh, Ephesus that John couldn't have walked uh, to each of them. And it's likely that he had visited each one of those churches. And it may well be that uh, the uh, book of Second John, the letter of Second John, was addressed to one of those churches. We just don't know but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, okay? Um, so, also, um, here we are, Second John, Third John next week, Jude uh, the following week. That's going to be a fun one. Um, remember our six C's of Bible study? Anybody uh, try to apply the six C's of Bible study this week? I know I sent out some uh, blank charts to folks. Um, you know, gang, if you will make this second nature, it will transform your study. And to really understand uh, what you're reading, you've got to determine 
the context for the verse, for the paragraph, for the chapter, for the book. Um, Know that context. And then gather the clues. Ask the who, what, why, when, where questions. And then uh, as you um, dive further into the text, compare and contrast what you're reading with other scripture. We're going to do that a bunch tonight. And then finally, uh, I'm sorry, then uh, next, the fourth step we take is to uh, consult outside sources. So we don't even pick up a commentary or anything like that until we've done the first three steps. And then once we've gone through the, those four steps and feel like we've kind of uh, um, learned as much as we can learn about uh, the particular book or chapter that we're studying, that's the time for us to sit down and draw some conclusions like we did last week. And then the rubber really meets the road when we commit to take action. You know, the idea in here to just learn the Bible, the idea here is to know truth in such a way that we can live it out in a loving manner and be obedient to what Christ is calling us to do. Okay, so those six C's will help you as you learn the truth. All right, so um, let's take a read of Second uh, John. The print's getting bigger and the um, verses are getting shorter. I like that. And let me just read it right quick. I'm reading from uh, the ESV. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but, all, but also all who know the truth, Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of uh, Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister, Ricci. And so, as we uh, dive into the chart here, it's a great little letter, and really, it it and 3 John are um, really two of the most personal uh, letters in the whole uh, New Testament. And we see um, John having a heart for um, this elect lady and her children. We'll talk about who that might be. 
uh, in just a second, but uh, it's a great little letter that'll be fun to dive into with you. So now if you take out your chart, I'll put it up here as well. So in determining the context, we want to know who's the author. And so who is the author of the book of uh, uh, 2 John? Well, it doesn't tell us. It says simply the elder. And I think by that, it underscores that the recipients would have known exactly who the elder was. We simply just uh, don't know with certainty today. Although um, I would um, assert that... um, seems to clearly be written by uh, the Apostle John, okay? And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. I think it was written uh, um, late in John's ministry in the, uh, around AD 90. Uh, for the purpose, I said, reminder to keep walking in truth and love, exhortation to avoid false teachers. Um, and that's really my outline as well. Uh, walk in truth and love. Uh, You could also say in obedience, watch for uh, deceivers. And the themes we've talked about, truth, love, obedience, avoid deceivers who teach false doctrine. Same thing with the key idea. I picked verse 6 for the um, um, key verse, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. Um. Key verses really kind of underscore uh, the theme of the book. Uh, Christ and uh, God are mentioned um, a bunch. Truth, love, commanded or commandments four times, abide three times, teaching three times. If you flip over uh, to the back, there's my count of words. 245 uh, Greek words uh, for Second John. Whereas uh, 3 John has 219 words in the Greek, uh, but a couple extra words in the English. So if you're going to say it in English, maybe you save yourself two words by memorizing 2 John. Okay? Um, It's interesting that this could have been written on a single sheet of standard size papyrus. And we'll talk about uh, um, the the, uh, next couple of bullet points in just a minute. Um, as I went through it, um, verses 1 through 3, greeting in truth and love, then encouragement to walk in truth and love, a warning to avoid false teaching so that we may win a full reward, and a hope to come visit uh, so that our joy may be complete. And so we'll try to answer the questions of uh, who is the elect lady and her children, and then uh, down at the uh, bottom also, who is the elect sister? And I'm going to ask you, what is the commandment that we're to walk in? And then we're also going to talk about what does it mean to receive a full reward? So uh, we'll try to answer each one of those questions. Um, as you've been reading Second um, John, perhaps, uh, or thinking about it when we just read it, um, are there any other questions that jump to your mind? Okay, we're going to answer that question. Okay? Who is the leading lady? Okay? Well, let's just go into that then. I like a room that doesn't ask uh, questions yet, uh, but I want you to ask them when we do some uh, table discussion time. 
Um, and so let's take a look at uh, our cast of characters again. I don't know if this helps you, but it helps me to know, okay, so who are the players in this book? Okay, and it's interesting here that we don't see really any names being named in this book like we did in Philemon, and like we're going to again in Third John, we're going to see names being named. Okay, uh, but here we kind of have designations. And so we've got the elder in verse 1 and the elect lady in verse 1, who's also called dear lady in verse 5. And we've got her children mentioned in verse 1 as well. And then we have the many deceivers uh, mentioned in verse 7. The the many deceivers are also uh, called uh, antichrist. And they are ones who don't confess that Christ came in the flesh. And they are also ones whose works are characterized as wicked works. And then finally, the children of your elect sister are mentioned in um, verse 13. And, you know, actually that's an interesting thing because uh, one of the commentators made the point that if this had been a uh, person rather than the description of what I think is a church, then it wouldn't have been the, the children greeting this um, lady, it would have been the the sister herself who would have sent her greetings. And so that may be another little evidence of uh, why we think that uh, the elect lady is actually a church. Okay? But before we dive into that big idea, I'm going to keep saying this. And so when you think 2 John from now on, you know, there are going to be three words that immediately pop into your mind. Truth, love, and obedience. And then the last half of the book is really talking about how do we apply those things to walk in wisdom. Okay? I noticed some contrast as words uh, uh, were compared and whatnot. Um, in... Verses 1 through 4, truth is in there uh, a number of times. In contrast, we have the lies, the deception of the deceivers. And we have Christ in three verses and the Antichrist. I don't think this is the Antichrist that he's mentioned, but anybody who opposes uh, the teaching of Christ is, in essence, the spirit of Antichrist. Okay, We have the church compared with the world. And then we also have uh, um, the, uh, the concept of abiding uh, being compared with, in uh, verse 9, with um, folks who go on ahead, which I think is actually something that uh, uh, John lifted straight out of the teaching of the deceivers. I think that they were telling their folks that, hey, we've got teaching to share with you that goes on ahead of these basic teachings that uh, John and his folks have been teaching you, okay? And so it was something that they were using was the allure to go on ahead beyond the basic doctrines that John had been sharing with the churches, okay? And then finally, we have the commands of God contrasted with the deceptions of Antichrist or deceptions of the deceivers, okay? I don't know if that helps y'all, but it helps me start to get a handle on what's really going on in a particular book. And so 
in the course of, you know, a one-chapter book, it's pretty easy to do this. It's harder to do it in a big book that has five chapters or 16 chapters in Romans, for example. But it's just as important to really uh, start to see the message that the author is trying to drive home. Okay? All right, so let's talk about this a little bit uh, um, verse by verse. And just to set the stage, I want to uh, say a couple more words about walking in wisdom. I've got three basic uh, uh, ideas to uh, communicate about that. Okay? And so, Second uh, John tells us that revealed truth is foundational for us as believers. And I think that John emphasized it uh, just right up front in his letter. Uh, he based his own love on truth. He based the love of all Christians on truth. He based his writing of this epistle uh, on truth. He based the three great Christian graces um, grace, mercy, and peace uh, on truth in verse 3. And he also, in verse 4, commends his listeners, his readers, uh, for basing their lives on it. And so, what did he mean by truth? I think he meant uh, the teachings of Christ uh, in verse 9, but it also includes all that Jesus has approved as God's revelation in the Old Testament and all that he taught in uh, the New Testament, and all that he taught through his apostles in their teaching uh, in the New Testament. And so, you know, gang, it's vitally important that we keep the importance of God's truth in balance. And so, on the one hand, it's the only foundation that will adequately support a proper relationship with God and with other people. But on the other hand, we've got to abide in that truth. And we'll talk more about that. But that's not just intellectual assent. That's actually living on the basis of it, walking in light of God's truth. Um, It's a relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit that says, hey, uh, Holy Spirit, I'm going to let you influence and guide my thinking in the way that not only I relate to God, but also in the, rela- the way that I relate to other people, to my family, to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to the people that I run into on a daily basis. And so the second point I'd want to make as we start out is um, um, John wrote that love for others is the fruit of abiding in the truth. He also regarded love for others as essentially obedience to the will of God. That's verse 6. And so when we obey uh, God, we do what's best for others. Okay? You can read Paul in uh, uh, Philippians 2 about that. And that's what it really means to love others. When we abide in the truth, then we'll love. And the third point I'd make is that uh, uh, John warns against separating love from truth. And so in his day, some people were rejecting the truth, but they were still trying to hold on to love. Does that sound familiar? They claimed to have progressed from elementary truth to advanced truth, but really they had abandoned the truth. And so John 
as a result, counseled his readers to give the false teachers no encouragement. Uh, but he didn't counsel to withhold love from them. And that's a uh, fine distinction that we need to grasp. You know, uh, Matthew 18 is something we talk about a lot around here, the idea of resolving conflict, okay? And the final stage of the conflict resolution process outlined in Matthew 18 says that if they still won't listen, that you treat them like an unbeliever, okay? And so what does that mean, that you go, you know, Uh, shoot them? No. What it means is that you treat them in love, that you're willing to share the gospel with them, okay? It just, uh, it means that you may need to separate from them so that you are not influenced by um, whatever is uh, the issue, but we are still called, even in the process of discipline, to deal with each other in love, and especially with unbelievers. What do we do with unbelievers? Well, we want to give an account for the hope that's within us. Okay? And so when Paul, I'm sorry, when John says this about the deceivers, he says, don't invite them into your house. But he's not saying to um, not uh, be willing to extend love to them in accordance with truth. Because, you know, as we extend love to each other, it gives us an opportunity to speak the truth. And we'll talk, uh, I'm sure, a number of times about Ephesians 4.15 tonight because we're called on to speak the truth in love. And if you compromise either side of that equation, you're going to miss it. But if you keep that in balance of speaking the truth in love, then you're going to be doing what John is calling uh, these folks to be doing. Okay? And so, you know, in our, in our day, right now, our society is making the same appeal to abandoned, inconvenient truths of the Word of God. And to just focus on love, to just focus on getting along. But we need to be aware of appeals to follow teaching that deviates from Scripture. And it's one of the great lessons we can learn from this little letter about how Uh, we can relate to folks in a loving way, but still speaking the truth to them. All right, so let's dive in. The elder. So the way John calls himself this, again, I think underscores that they knew exactly who the elder was, the recipients of this letter. But, you know, it's also in keeping With what else? What other book of the New Testament do we know where we really don't know who the author is, uh, but he kind of alludes to himself uh, in a certain way? Hebrews? Well, not only do we not know the author of Hebrews um, then, we don't know it today. Um, There are all sorts of speculations about who the author of Hebrews is, uh, but... For one of the book I'm talking about, we actually have an idea who the author is. He describes himself, I'm going to give it away here, but he describes himself as, um, yes sir, John, yeah. And how does John describe himself in the Gospel of John? Yeah, as the one whom Jesus loved. And so his uh, reticence here 
may just fit right in um, with his reticence in the Gospel of John to identify himself. And we'll see next week that uh, um, he uh, describes himself in exactly the same way in 3 John as the elder. Uh, But I would suggest to you that the similarity of style and vocabulary, uh, the way the books are structured, the mood and whatnot, uh, between 2 and 3 John certainly makes it clear that they were written by the same author. And I think that uh, um, both uh, 2 and 3 John also bear strong resemblance to 1 John and also to the Gospel of John. We see the same ideas. Truth is important in the Gospel of John. Abiding is important in the gospel of John and so we see the same ideas being repeated in all three of those and so um, it causes scholars to conclude that both the internal evidence and the external evidence lends support to the traditional view that uh, all three of uh, his letters and also the gospel of John were written by the apostle John now the elect lady okay so they're Really, two schools of thought on the elect lady, who she is. Any um, volunteers on one of the two schools of thought? Yes, sir? A church, okay, or the church. All right, so that's one of them. What's the other one? If it's not a church, it's a, a person, yeah, an individual, okay? And uh, uh, scholars have even uh, theorized that, uh, well, maybe her name was Electa, okay? Or maybe her name was, the Greek word for lady is Kyria. Maybe her name was Kyria, uh, because that is a, uh, the same word for um, the Aramaic word for Martha, okay? Um, most scholars say, uh, probably not. Uh, the shift in pronouns where uh, they go to a plural pronoun uh, for the body of the letter underscores that this is likely something that John was writing to a specific church. Okay? And so... Um, it's likely that John personified a particular local church as a lady and the Christians in it as her children. And this view harmonizes with the personification of the church as the the bride. Yeah, the bride of Christ. Um, There's several other examples of greetings from one church to another in the New Testament. You can check these out in Romans 16, 16, and 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and 20, and Philippians 4, 21. Um, And so... um, Actually, let's go look at that right quick. Uh, the Romans sixteen sixteen. No, that's not the one I was looking for. Never mind. Um, let's go to First uh, Peter. See, I should never do this on the fly. Okay, actually, I've gotten lucky. First Peter five thirteen. Okay, this is the very closing of uh, uh, Peter's first letter. And verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 13 says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. 
I think that's another reference. In Babylon there, I think uh, Peter's likely referring to the church at Rome, which was the Babylon of its day. It was the dominant world power, and it was probably, uh, like Babylon, also the center of immorality. Okay, so, um, you know, there are other examples of um, the writers of Scripture doing this. And um, let me suggest to you a a possible reason why. Um, Here's one scholar said, It may well be that the address is deliberately unidentifiable. The letter was written at a time when persecution was a real possibility. If the letter were to fall into the wrong hands, there might well be trouble. And it may well be that the letter is addressed in such a way that to the insider, its designation, uh, its destination, I'm sorry, is quite clear, while to the outsider, it would look like simply a personal letter from one friend to another. The address may, in fact, be a skillful attempt to baffle any hostile person into whose hands the letter might come. And if that is so, our difficulty in identifying the person or church to whom the letter is addressed is nothing other than a tribute to the skill of John. Okay, so, you know, there are persecutions going on. We know that uh, um, in the uh, 90s, John was actually exiled to uh, Patmos, where he wrote um, the book of Revelation. And so there were uh, all sorts of persecutions going on. It may be that he deliberately disguised who this is to uh, uh, protect the recipients of the letter. All right, um, in verse 2, we see, um, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So now, if we were going to compare and contrast that with other scriptures, what scriptures come to your mind? Okay, that says what? Read it for us. Okay, that's a good one. What else? Yes, sir? John fourteen six. that's the one that first came to my mind, where Jesus says, I am the, yeah, way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What else? How about John uh, 15, uh, verses 4 and 5? Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For for apart from me, you can do nothing. Or Galatians uh, 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then finally, Christ being with us always. How about the end of uh, the Great Commission, where in uh, verse 20 he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, I find that very helpful to understand what John's trying to say here, to look particularly at what John said in other places. And so the Gospel of John and, and certainly First John are, are fertile sources for being able to compare and contrast Scripture to uh, unfold the Scripture here. I love verse 3. Um, 
You know, John's salutation here differs from Paul's usual greetings in a number of respects. Did you notice that? First, it's not a prayer or a wish, but rather it's a confident affirmation. Uh, John is assuring the recipients that grace, mercy, and peace will be with them, uh, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. And I love that he adds there, Uh, to that phrase, in truth and love, because the source of both of those things are ultimately from God. And then finally, he adds the designation of Christ as the Father's Son. And, you know, in doing that, what's that an echo of? Okay. Okay. Um, think about John's other writings. Where do you see Jesus being depicted as the Son of God? Well, in the Gospel of John, okay? As you think through the Gospels, I find it helpful to think about the way that each one of the Gospels depicts uh, the person of Christ, okay? And so the Gospel of John depicts him as the Son of God. And you know, for uh, a key verse there, I would pick uh, John twenty thirty one, um, that says that, hey, I've written this stuff so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If I was picking a key verse for the Gospel of John, that's what I'd pick because I think that's John's purpose there as well as in other places, okay? But certainly for the Gospel of John. And so, you know, I want to encourage you um, that one of the things you ought to do as you think through each of the different books of the Bible, and that's uh, why I love getting to do four books this summer, is that you have those things that you can just pull off the top of your head to say, okay, Second John, truth, love, and obedience. Gospel of John, Son of God. How, would you, how is Jesus depicted in the uh, Gospel of Matthew? Okay, that's not the one I'd pick. Son, well, the Messiah, there you go. He is depicted as the Christ. Okay, and for a key verse there, I'd pick uh, um, Matthew sixteen sixteen. Remember where Jesus goes uh, to his disciples and he says, hey, who does everybody say that I am? Okay, that was just kind of the warm-up question. And the disciples say, well, some say you're Elijah and some say you're John and, you know, various and sorted answers. And then he asked the question that he really was about asking because it's a question that rings throughout history. He asked them, who do you say that I am? And who, who was the star uh, of the disciples in answering that? Peter. And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay. And so, the way I use it, uh, um, I say that Matthew describes Jesus as the king. He is the promised Messiah. That's why, um, at the very first of the Gospel of Matthew, you didn't know you were going to get the Gospel of Matthew tonight, too. Um, But hang on. Um, This is free. No charge for this. Um, Matthew, uh, in depicting Christ as the king, starts with a genealogy that's appropriate for a king, and he goes back to show that he is the son of Abraham and the son of 
David, okay? And so um, then we move on to Mark, and how does Mark depict Christ? Suffering servant, well done. Um, and do you have a key verse you'd pick for that? Mark ten forty five that says, "Give that man a t shirt." Way to go! All right, buddy. We'll just come pick one up afterwards. All right. Mark ten forty five is exactly the verse I would pick. Christ is depicted in the Gospel of Mark as the suffering servant. And uh, Mark 10.45 again says that uh, um, um, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay? And so how does Luke describe Christ? What's the key idea of the Gospel of Luke? First, who is Luke? He's a doctor. Yeah, we read about him last week. Okay, he's described as the beloved physician uh, in one of the letters. Okay, but he's also a Gentile. He is thought to be the only Gentile author of Scripture. And so it's not surprising that his focus is on what are the Gentiles to a first century Jew? They are outsiders. Give that man a t shirt. Come up and get one, buddy, afterwards. No, you don't have to do it now. they're outsiders, okay? And so, um, what does Luke focus on? Well, he focuses on the outsiders. And so, sinners. Um, women were outsiders in first century uh, Israel. Children. Um, the lost. And that leads me to my key verse for the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke, anybody want to? Go for a t-shirt on the key verse. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man uh, um, came to seek and to save the lost. And so Luke describes Christ as the Son of Man. So King, Servant, Son of Man, Son of God. And, you know, I don't know about y'all, but that helps me put together what's happening in each one of those Gospels. And that's why I want you to, uh, as you think about Philemon, you think about transformation from bondservant to beloved brother. And as you think about uh, uh, 2 John, you think uh, truth, love, and obedience. Walk in truth, love, and obedience. See, walk is in there, okay? Truth, love, and obedience. We have to live that out. That's the way we're to walk, okay? So I want you to be able to think through, ultimately to think through every book of the Bible uh, with these shorthand phrases that help make it memorable to you. All right, verse 4 um, says that um, John rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And so here's a little teaser for the table discussion. What does it mean to walk in the truth? And what does that look like in your daily life? You'll have a chance to talk about that. I love the way that John Stott says that. Um, here's a uh, great little, uh, if you're looking for a little commentary on uh, John's letters, this is by John Stott. He's also the author of The Cross of Christ that everybody in this room should own and read and read again and again. It's a great book. But this little book is a great insight into these letters. Here's what he says. He says, to walk in the truth includes both believing it 
especially the central truth of the incarnation, Jesus come in the flesh, and obeying it, obeying it, obeying it, seeking to conform our lives to it. God has not revealed his truth in such a way to live as, listen to this, God has not revealed his truth in such a way to leave us free at our pleasure to believe or disbelieve it. Revelation carries with it responsibility, and the clearer the revelation, the greater the responsibility to believe and obey it. Wow. We've just gone from preaching to meddling. Okay, so, you know, can a parent have any greater joy than to see his kids walking in the truth? And that's the way John felt about um, these people. Uh, I've got a great little uh, email that Todd got this week from one of our um, Great Questions leaders. You all know about Great Questions that meets on Monday night? Uh, We've got another Great Questions leader sitting in here, Robin Howard. Um, But... At this great question, this guy brought his 13-year-old son with him just to uh, be there. Let me read you the uh, email. It says, last night my 13-year-old son Jackson went with me to serve at Great Questions. He was nervous about not knowing what to do or say, and we talked about it all the way there, as you can imagine a 13-year-old might be. Uh, Or I would be in going to that uh, gathering. He said, do I have to ask a question or talk? And I said, this is a dad writing. He said, no, you can just listen, but if you were led to share, then share. And I thought he was going to just watch and learn something. And they had a lady there who asked this question, is Jesus just a prophet? And the leader shared with her, and about 10 minutes into us answering, Jackson spoke up and quoted Matthew four eighteen through 20. Now, that's pretty impressive in and of itself. Uh, I had to go look up what Matthew four eighteen through 20 said. And said, these guys would not have left everything. Remember, y'all know Matthew four eighteen through 20? Well, let's go look it up together. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And here's an important word. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And uh, um, Jackson said that these guys would not have left everything if they didn't see something different in Jesus than just a prophet. Now, there you go, out of the mouth of a 13-year-old. That's impressive. And uh, um, his dad goes on and says, I was a proud dad and blessed at that moment. It was a great evening. Uh, Jackson got to hear questions from someone trying to understand Jesus, and Jackson got to see the power of Scripture to communicate truth. How about that? The last thing Jackson asked before bed was, when do we get to do that again? Is that cool? I mean, you know, just as uh, uh, his dad um, was so blessed and rejoiced so uh, that he had to share it with Todd to see his child walking in the truth and being able to share something that was meaningful uh, right there in the moment. That's pretty neat. And that's what verse 4 is all about. 
Okay? And then in verse 5 we have, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And so what commandment is John talking about there? That's exactly right. Which says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then the uh, uh, kicker in verse 35 is that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, gang, the world is watching us. And they are looking to see how we respond. Okay? They're looking to see, you know, do we love each other? Are we living like we love each other? Are we compromising truth? The world is watching. And so that is the um, commandment I think that John is writing about in verse 5. And that is a commandment that uh, um, has just as much power today as it did when John, I'm sorry, when Jesus first spoke those words in the upper room. This is, you know, when you think about the Gospel of John uh, from chapters 13 through 17, think upper room discourse this is when this is the last supper where jesus is with his guys uh, for the last good time to sit and have a chance to talk and he shares with them hey i'm giving you a new commandment that people are going to know that you're following me by the way that you love each other okay um verse six One of my favorites, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So give me some other verses uh, that were penned by John in either um, his gospel or 1 John that say the same sort of thing. Let's compare and contrast scriptures here. Anything come to your mind right quick? I see someone pointing. Ah, thank you. Say it again. First John 1, 7 and 8. 4, 7 and 8. Okay? Let's go look at that. First John 4, 7 and 8. Um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves, loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Man, I love those verses. That's great. T-shirt for you. Way to go. Other ones? Okay, John fourteen twenty one. Um, read it for me. Perfect. Um, John fourteen twenty one. she cited. Here's another one right in the same place. John fourteen fifteen says the similar thing. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is Jesus talking. Okay? Okay, read it. 
There you go. And I love that because, you know, love is not words. Love is actions. Love is an action verb, okay? I can say all day long that I love my sweet bride who's sitting right there. Glad to have you here tonight, sweetie. Um, and, uh, um, but if my actions don't live up to my words, man, that's totally empty, and that will get me in trouble, okay? Um, I've got to live out what I'm saying. I've got to walk my talk. Walking is important. Way to go. Tables or t-shirts for all of y'all. Um, okay, I heard something else over here. 16, did I hear? Okay, read those for us. Loudly. Okay, and that was First John four, First John four sixteen through eighteen, First John five three, and this is love that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. First John two three through six, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, capital H, walked. That, that was First John 2, 3 through 5. I'm sorry, 3 through 6. So we could keep going. And, you know, I love how um, just reading other passages written by John in the Gospels. You know, go check out uh, um, uh, John 14 through 16 or in uh, uh, 1 John. Um, you see these same ideas repeated over and over. It's like in Second John, John's giving you a little snapshot of things that he has written before. Okay, and so let's move to uh, kind of the bad news here. Let's move to the uh, deceiver side of the ledger. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh, such one is the deceiver and the antichrist. All right, so who are the deceivers and what is their error? Anybody want to take a shot at that? Okay, Gnostics is, uh, um, this is probably an early form of Gnosticism that really came to the uh, forefront and became an even greater challenge in the second century, but this is probably an early form of it. Um, and uh, um, you said something else that I thought was right on. Yeah, they, they denied that Christ had come in the flesh, okay? Because the Gnostics said, hey, really knowledge is the, that's the deal. And they were promoting the idea of a superior knowledge that was guaranteed to go on ahead, as we'll see in verse 9, okay? And so um, they were saying that, uh, hey, leave behind, um, you know, the flesh and things like that. And so it was something that 
you know, they had an issue with Jesus coming in the flesh and with the fact that God always uh, ties his work to real things, real time in history, okay? That's one of the great defenses of Christianity is that, hey, there were people who were watching to verify this. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians says there were 500 guys that Jesus appeared to. And some of them or most of them are still living, so you can go check it out if you doubt it. Okay? Um, So, early form of Gnosticism that claimed salvation by superior knowledge or enlightenment. They didn't confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Um, Verse 9, they uh, go on ahead and they don't abide in the teaching of Christ. And in verse 11, um, they produce wicked works. And it made me think of John eight forty four, that says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And, you know, gang, false teachers are playing the devil's game. He was a liar, and the false teaching is something that just does not measure up with the truth. And that's one of the reasons that we have to know the truth, because the truth gives us a plumb line to compare what we're hearing from others with what does God say about this? What does Scripture say about this? It is our plumb line to use to compare uh, when we hear other teaching. All right, in verse um, 8. Somehow I've uh, fallen behind here a little bit, so let's catch up. Uh, In verses 8 and 10, John gives out two warnings here. And the first warning is captured by uh, the uh, um, little Greek word uh, blepo that um, simply means watch out. Okay? And uh, um, Jesus used the same verb in Mark 13, uh, 22 and 23. It's recorded there. And here's what um, Christ said. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard is another translation for it. It's the same word that uh, is in our text. But watch out. I've told you these things beforehand. Okay? And so as we take a look at uh, um, 2 John 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Um, This isn't about losing one's salvation, but it's about rewards for faithful service. Okay? And so um, the idea of winning a full reward uh, immediately causes me to think about the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? The judgment seat of Christ is something that you can read about in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. And the, the principles, just in a nutshell, are that we as believers in Christ are going to have not our sin evaluated, that's been paid for, but our works will be evaluated. You know, when God says to whom much is given, much is expected, he expects us to do good works. Um, Ephesians 2.10 says that we're his 
masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared ahead of time for us to walk in. Okay? And so uh, we all will have the opportunity to appear uh, before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, the judgment seat of Christ is not something that's taught a lot in the American church today. You know, I think it's something we'd rather forget. But don't forget it. Because you need to use your time effectively to work, to do good works in a way that are going to earn you what Second uh, John 8 says, a full reward. And so read 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, and you'll see that, uh, hey, there will be an evaluation, and uh, um, our works are going to be evaluated. Uh, I love in verse 9 the contrast between goes on ahead uh, versus abide. And we are not to go on ahead, but we are to abide in Christ's teaching. Uh, Whereas the false teachers were claiming to have gone on ahead and possess uh, a superior knowledge, you know, in doing so, they have advanced so far that they've left God behind. Because no one can have the Father without acknowledging the Son. And the Son is both the revelation of the Father, John 1.18 and 14.9, and John 14.6 says he's the way to the Father. Um, The idea of abide is a big one in the Gospel of John. He uses it 40 times, the Greek word for abide, uh, in the Gospel of John. He uses it 23 times in 1 John uh, by itself. And he uses it three times in the little letter of Second uh, um, John. So abiding is important uh, to John, it's important to Jesus, and it should be important to us. Because I've already quoted John fifteen five that uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And when we look forward to uh, uh, verse 10... Um, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. I think that's a reference. If, if we're talking about uh, uh, the lady as a church, we're talking about giving the false teacher a platform in your church. And you know, gang, let me assure you that uh, Todd Wagner is extremely careful about who he allows to be on that stage with him. And he wants to know that whoever's going to be up there is going to be teaching the same gospel that we see in Scripture. Okay? And that's what I think uh, John is warning these folks about, to not allow these folks to have a platform to spread uh, what verse 11 calls their wicked works. I love the way he closes in... uh, um, 12, he says, hey, I got a ton of additional stuff, just like I have a ton of additional stuff to share with y'all tonight. Uh, But uh, we're running out of time because we have some great uh, ice cream uh, sandwiches waiting for us and some summer fun. Um, And so I want to get to the table time right quick. Uh, But he says that make, um, I'm going to hold off, not write to you, but I'm going to come visit you to make our joy complete. And notice that it's our joy. It's John's joy, but it's also the people's joy to have John uh, come visiting. 
The children of your elect sister, I think that's simply the sister congregation from which John is writing, um, likely writing this um, little letter. And so if I'm going to uh, uh, sum this up as we go to table discussion, here's what I'd say. Truth and love are the essential marks of the Christian life. The fellowship of the local church, the way we deal with each other, is created by truth and exhibited in love. Each one qualifies the other. Our love should not be so blind as to ignore the views and conducts of others, and truth should make our love righteously selective. John sees nothing inconsistent in adding to the commands to love one another in verse 5, a clear instruction about the refusal of fellowship to false teachers who were deceivers. And so our love for others is never to undermine our loyalty to the truth. And yet, at the same time, we must never champion the truth in a harsh or bitter way. And so what I want you all to talk about is right here. What does it mean to walk in the truth? What does it mean to walk in love? And what does that look like in your daily life? Give examples. And in your walk with Christ, which one do you have more trouble with? Truth or love? I know which side I fall out on on that equation. And so then we're going to want you to explain. And then finally, takeaways. You know, the so what's. How are we going to apply the truths of Second John? So let's take about 10 minutes and talk about that, and then we'll wrap up. Here we go. What does it mean to walk in the truth, to walk in love? What does that look like in your daily life? That's what I'm really interested in. Okay, who wants to be the first brave soul? What table wants to go? All right. Um, Tell us your name. I'm Evelyn. Okay. And we said it looks like abiding in Christ. Um, We kind of talked about how Jesus is talked about as the truth. He's also described as love, like he's the perfect depiction of both of those concepts. So kind of if we're abiding in Christ, we're abiding in truth, and we are abiding in love. So like walking in Christ with Christ is truth and love. Okay, that's great. So how does that look like? On in your daily life? What does that look I like? I thought I was only answering the first question. Ah, well now I'm asking the second. <laughs> um, okay, so table. What does it look like? How do you, how do we live out? I have a, a perfect example. I had, um, had a conversation with a co-worker uh, about having a day off and she, uh, I told her I would get back with her and she was upset and I received a text message within a couple of minutes after she left my presence that was not for me. It, it was about me in the conversation that we just had. And so because I really, and she's a Christian, we're, we're both believers, and because I really love Christ and I'm really working on, as I share with my table, in exuberating love and not truth, I waited patiently maybe a few minutes, I called her and said, I received your text message, and we'll discuss it tomorrow. <laughs> and she said, oh. And so I prayed about it that evening. I said, Lord, let whatever we say in the morning, let my words be seasoned with love. And so bathe that thing in prayer that evening, that morning, and when we came time to have a conversation before I could even share, you know, that really hurt my feelings. I got your text message, blah, 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 what it said. She was already asking for forgiveness. Hmm. And so it really So where to go for both of you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> well done. All right. So aren't you glad she shared instead of me? All right. Way to go. So, T-shirts for that table. Yes, sir. My name is Marwan. Um, we talked about just 
seeing unbelievers like we my wife and I came from Washington DC and you know like there's a melting pot whatever it's like a lot of liberal views and she used to work with people that you know don't believe in Christ and she we see that and I work in Oakland here in Dallas so it's very challenging and I think about that every day really when I go to work and the people I see and my coworkers it's very challenging but I I mean I try to you know I know some different verses and stuff so I try to practice that when I every day when I go to work. Man, that's a key idea right there. You've got to practice it. And particularly when you're going to have hard conversations, you've got to do what this table suggested, that you have to bathe it in prayer. That's huge, okay? Um, because the Spirit will help you. As you hide these things in your heart, He will bring to mind at the right time the right thing to say, okay? Well, let's go on to uh, question two. All right. Truth or love, okay? So we'll just do this as a big group. How many uh, have more trouble with truth? That's where I fall out. You know, I, I am too hard on the truth side and not enough on the loving side. And uh, Okay, sorry, let me ask it again. Let's start over. Let's do a reset. Okay, so which one do you have more trouble with? Um, being a truth teller? Or acting in love? Okay. Um, I, I may be getting tired or something. Okay. Um, so let's just, do you have more trouble with truth or love? Do you struggle with the truth or do you struggle with love? Okay. Okay. Well, I'll do it again. Fortunately, I have Robin and Sarah here to keep me straight. Okay, so if you struggle on the truth side of the ledger, raise your hand. It's, it's hard. It's, no, it's, it's, you're too tough on the truth. Too hard on the truth. Okay. All right, and so what, the other side of that, and this is just my struggle, all right? True confessions, all right? So, you know, uh, I love Wagner and I were talking one time, and he said, hey, big boy, you know, neither you nor I um, are high in the mercy side. Uh, and I went, guilty. Um, and so, you know, I struggle with acting in love. Man, I want to kill people with the truth, okay? But I don't uh, take the time to pray, and say, Lord, let me respond to this as you would respond to this, rather than just giving them my quick off-the-head lawyer answer uh, that says, hey, I'm going to blow you up if I can. Okay? <laughs> so there's my struggles, true confession. All right? And so how many of us struggle with um, being too easy on the love side? You're willing to compromise truth. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a hard thing, too. And so what is, what is this calling us to? I'm going to give you a pass on the uh, takeaways because we're running out of time. We've got a bunch of ice cream sandwiches melting. Um, but the, the bottom line is that we have got to have balance, okay? We have got to uh, be ones who speak the truth to each other, but we do it in love. And we're not too hard on the uh, truth side, and we're not too soft on the love side. Okay? And so, 
Here were my application questions. So what are you doing to learn truth? Well, obviously you're sitting in Bible class, uh, okay? So that's a good thing. But what are you doing outside to continue to learn the truth? Because you've got to know it before you can apply it. And so how are you doing in balancing truth and love in your own life and in the way that you deal with others? And here's a big one. Who's helping you with this balancing act? You know, um, I always think I do a great job of speaking the truth and love to my wife. But sometimes she has to help me by saying, hey, big boy, that was neither truthful nor loving. Okay? You know? Um, Sometimes we've got to have others who help us balance uh, the truth and love. And then, are you willing to speak the truth in love to those who are teaching or living in opposition to God's truth? Ooh, now that's a little harder. Um, you know, that coworker that's not living in accordance with truth, who may even reject truth. So how do you do that in love? That's one where um, that needs a lot of prayer. And so for the final word for the Gospel of John, let me give you this. This is from uh, uh, John Stott. So the Christian fellowship, just the way we do life, should be marked equally by truth and love, and we're to avoid extremism which pursues either at the expense of the other. Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard if it's not softened by love. Scripture commands us both uh, to love each other in the truth and to hold the truth in love. And so, gang, three words for the uh, letter of 2 John. Truth, love, and obedience. And the fourth word that I, I like to is that we're to walk in each one of those. Okay? So let me pray for us. Thanks for being here. Next week we'll do uh, uh, Third John. We'll get the final word from uh, the Apostle John. And next week he's naming names. Okay? And so there are a couple of guys that he's got good things to say about, and then there's one that uh, the report is not quite so good. So come on back. Lord, thanks for the privilege of uh, uh, opening your word and let its truths... Uh, wash over us. And so, Father, uh, uh, may we be uh, a people who uh, maintain a proper balance of truth and love, and that we not forget that third word, Father, that uh, obey word that sometimes uh, I tend to overlook. But you call us to be obedient to what you uh, uh, ask us to do. And you don't do that, Father, to be a harsh, demanding, dictating father, but you do it because you're our loving Heavenly Father who knows that if we will obey you, it will be best for us in the long run. Uh, Lord, help each of us to uh, learn that lesson. And so thanks for these folks. Thanks for their time, Father. And uh, may you go with them and bless uh, their week as we walk in truth, love, and obedience. Amen.